Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsudliff.com. I am an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sada Flody. This episode is everything you need to know about fibroids. But before I get into it, the first thing I want to make very clear is that I'm not giving any type of religious or medical advice. So if you have any questions about your health, please speak with your medical provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please ask your friendly neighborhood religious leader. It's the Muslim Sex Podcast because I just happen to be a Muslim woman that talks about sex. So I am so, so happy to have on with me Dr. Charuba Prabhakar. And um, Dr. Prabhakar is a board-certified OBGYN and a minimally invasive surgeon. She helps women with fibroids live a life with reduced bleeding, pain, and improved fertility. In October 2022, she opened her own gynecology and surgery practice in the Bay Area, where she provides highly personalized, accessible care to women through all phases of life. She is able to provide care in creative ways in the office and via online coaching programs. She can be reached at thefibroiddoc at gmail.com and can be found on social media at thefibroiddoc on Instagram and YouTube. So welcome, welcome, Dr. Prabhakar. I'm so excited to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much. This is uh, great. Thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait to chat with you about all things fibroid. Yes, yes. So maybe you can tell us a little bit more. So you are, you're in the Bay Area right now. Is that Yes. So I actually trained in the East Coast in New York and then oh. here. Yeah. I uh, trained in Long Island and then Brooklyn and then moved out here to Oakland, California, where I was an employed physician for several years and then just started my own private practice um, this uh, past fall. So I am um, an entrepreneur and um, uh, serving women, um, you know, across the Bay Area for all their gynecologic needs. That is awesome. So um, before we get into talking about fibroids, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about the storm. It was, it's been a little crazy. Um, We've had a lot of rain recently. I'm just looking out and for like a few minutes, it's actually not raining, but it's been raining all day, all night. A basement got a little flooded, you know? Um, Yeah. Schools have been closed actually. Um, For the last couple of days, it's yeah, it's the bomb cyclone. Yeah. It's been a little awful. Yeah. We're okay. Good. I'm glad to hear that. So, okay. So tell me, I have so many questions. So tell me a little bit more about what you do. I know you're a minimally invasive surgeon, so maybe you could just explain to the viewers what that means. Yes. So I am an, uh, first of all, an OBGYN. I did my residency in OBGYN and then I spent a couple of years, um, after that training in surgical techniques. So it's Mm -hmm. a a fellowship in minimally invasive surgery and minimally invasive means um, accomplishing surgery with just a few small incisions. So mm-hmm. 
think about surgery, we think about a big incision, you know, like a C-section incision, or some women have an up and down incision, um, you know, uh, on their belly. So this type of surgery is done either vaginally, so no scars, or just a few incisions on the abdomen. So three or four tiny little holes through which we can remove big things like a uterus, a fibroid, a large ovarian cyst, um, stuff like that. So yeah, that's minimally invasive surgery. And it's focused really on the gynecologic aspects of our specialty versus delivering the baby's aspect. Yeah. Yes, yes. Better call for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yes, I was in the OR this morning and after this I'm going back to uh the OR to remove a large twelve centimeter ovarian mass. So that oh just my goodness. Hard. So yeah. It's so, something exciting. Yeah. <laughs> You're a busy woman. So, okay. So let's talk a little bit about, um, maybe we can, and you can tell the viewers about what exactly fibroids are for those women that, um, you know, are lucky yeah. enough not so to have fibroids. Our uterus, um, or colloquially known as, you know, the womb, um, is made up of smooth muscle and fibroids are essentially balls of smooth muscle that grow on the uterus. Um, and so they are almost always benign. Very rarely do they turn into cancer or anything like that. They're usually benign. And a lot of women don't even know they have it. Um, but it's actually really common. Um, 80%, 80 to 90% of all women are diagnosed with a fibroid by the time they're 80. So it's, it's really wow. common. It's way more common than yeah, it's really common. common. And a lot of times you, you don't really go looking for it unless you're having problems. And then, you know, you're getting uh, scans sure. and other testing to find out that, oh, yeah, I actually have a fibroid. Right, right. And so maybe you can tell us a little bit more about, you know, you talked about how with fibroids, you know, people can have heavy bleeding. And what are some other symptoms that women may experience that have fibroids, you know, and, and perhaps don't even know it? Um, so as you mentioned, fibroids, um, the, the number one uh, symptom that a lot of patients have is very, very heavy bleeding. But um, other times patients will see they have pelvic pain, they have they have to go to the bathroom all the time, almost like if they were pregnant, you know, peeing all the time. Mm -hmm. um, painful mm -hmm. sex is another one. Patients yeah. um, complain of painful sex. And um, often this is because there's a fibroid low in the uterus or on the cervix. And... Uh, this, this can cause a lot of lot of pain. Other times patients will say, oh, I, I feel a ball in my belly. Or when I turn from, when, I, when I'm sleeping, I turn around and or turn side to side and I feel this like ball moving around in my belly. So these are some of the common symptoms that patients experience and the signs with which they, they come to me and say, oh, what's going on? The other big one also is infertility. Um, patients will have mm, multiple yes. miscarriages, um, uh, you know, and then when it's finally being worked up, then it's found that they actually have, you know, fibroids. So that's that's another one. So it's 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 usually diagnosed in you know the late twenties, thirties, right around that childbearing age. Yeah. Yeah. I know that some patients also will complain, depending on how big those fibroids are, right? They could also be complaining about like pressure that they feel, or maybe like a sense of bloating or something like that. Um, yes. Yes. Usually. Well. 
Yes. And usually by that time, they're usually feeling something too. Um, you know, they can, when they press on their belly, they're like, oh yeah, I feel something really hard. Um, or that pressure is often kind of the bladder, the bladder symptoms. Oh, I'm running to the bathroom all the time. And I should also mention that sometimes patients feel constipated um, because fibroids mm-hmm. are kind of sitting on their bowel near the rectum um, and preventing kind of normal bowel movements. So they can have a lot of, lot of different effects, actually, once you think about it. Right, right, right. So, you know, I know you mentioned um, that women will often be diagnosed with fibroids, you know, during the childbearing years. Typically, how long do you tell a woman, so say a woman has a fibroid inside her uterus and um, she opts to have surgery to have it removed. Typically, how long do you tell them to wait before they conceive? And then would they be able to have, say, like a normal vaginal delivery? Yeah, so it really depends on how big the fibroid is and where it is. So if it's actually in the cavity of the uterus, and the cavity is where a baby forms or where you where your the tissue sloughs off, you know, in order to get your period. So if it's a fibroid in there, um, we can often remove it um, through the vagina, right through the vaginal entrance into the cervix, and and that's a procedure called hysteroscopy. And so for those procedures, the recovery is very quick. Patients go home the same day, they're fine the next day, they can go back to work the next day and they don't really have to wait a long time before trying to conceive so the next cycle they they're good to go um versus if the fibroids are much bigger and they're in the wall of the uterus um then i approach those robotically so i go from up top and remove those fibroids um, and these can be anywhere from six to ten twelve centimeters so then we then i remove that and um those fibroids are often so big that they're going right through the wall of the uterus, in which case the patients, I recommend that they wait six months because we really mm-hmm. want that uterine wall to heal and to uh, really get nice and strong before you know it starts growing a baby. And for those patients, yes, we do recommend uh, a C-section um, versus right. you know, a vaginal delivery. Yeah. Right, because you don't want her to have contractions because her uterus exactly. could rupture. Exactly, because mm-hmm. once the uterus starts, as we know, in labor, I mean, the uterus can contract for days. And that kind of pressure, even though you know, some, a patient just asked me, well, what if I get pregnant like three years down the road? Is that enough to have healed it? Um, you know, we don't really know. Uh, it's hard to do studies on this, right? Life is precious. A baby is precious. We don't want to exactly be doing, you know, big studies on, on, oh, let's see what happens to your baby, right? So we don't have great data, but from what we know, the recommendation right now is just to avoid the vaginal delivery and just to proceed with a C-section. And we often recommend it a little bit early. So if your due date is at 40 weeks, we say do your C-section around 37 weeks. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Okay, awesome. And, uh, you know, so I'm wondering, like, what role does um, a fibroid play specifically with regard to say like intimacy? You know, what what complaints do patients have? I know you mentioned that, you know, sometimes they can have pain with intercourse. Um, You know, what are other things that uh, patients have come to you about? I think the first thing is actually the bleeding. Um, Patients Mm -hmm. have very, fibroids can cause like torrential, like force essentially. Like I mean, people are flooding their, you know, tampons and their pads and their bed sheets and whatever. So it, it can be really, really a life changing thing. And if they knew it was just for two or three days, 
that's one thing. But for a lot of women with fibroids, this goes on. This goes on for 14 days, yes. 15 days. So you can imagine it's very difficult to actually plan sex. Um, sometimes patients will plan vacations and they say, oh, okay, okay, that's when I'm going to, you know, let loose and I'm, you know, planning for special intimate times with my partner. And then boom, they start bleeding over there, right? So I think the bleeding is the number one um, issue that a lot of women yeah. face when they're trying to actually be intimate with their partners. And this is something that is not normal. Um, many women think, oh, okay, I just have to put up with it. You know, I have a fibroid, like I'll just wait till menopause or whenever it starts to shrink. And I just want to encourage anybody listening, like you don't have to suffer. Um, so if your fibroids are causing bleeding and they are, you know, kind of ruining life and your sex life, you know, just go and get it you know, taken care of. There's so many options we have. So that's the number one. Number two is pain um, with sex. And so uh, there are young patients who say, well, I shouldn't be having pain with sex. You know, I everything's lubricated. Um, everything's great, but I don't know why I'm having so much pain. And then we do an ultrasound and we find a cervical fibroid or a fibroid low in the uterine segment. And that's easy to fix. That's a surgical, um, you know, procedure and we can take it out and um, you know, life goes on. So there's definitely ways we can, we can actually address those as well. But those are the two big ones I would say when it comes to kind of interfering with sex life. Sure, sure. Yeah. And you know, sometimes women don't even realize how much blood they've lost, right? Until they start having shortness of breath or like an unremitting headache or something like that. And then they find out that, oh, yeah, I've been like hemorrhaging for the last like month. Yes. And now, yes. you know, I'm finally going to seek treatment. And now my blood count is half of what it should be. Yes, right? yes. And so, I think uh, a lot of women are used to that bleeding. So for them, you know, when they come to tell me, I'm like, you know, my eyes are popping wide and they're like, oh, well, this is how it is for me every month. And, you know, we just get used to it. And I think they don't think like, oh, no, this is actually really abnormal. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think women, uh, women put up with a lot, right? Yes. We just get used to a lot of stuff yes. and we just think it's normal. Yeah, we and think it's, it's normal and it's, really not. and it's not. And a lot of times in those situations, as you mentioned, when a patient gets an iron transfusion or a blood transfusion, then they feel so much better. And they're like, oh, this is how I can yes. really feel. Um, or they get the problem yeah. fixed, you know, the fibroid taken out or yeah. whatever. And then they're like, oh, amazing. I just bleed four days a month, you know? So, yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Like this is what it feels like to be alive. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I'm also curious to find out, like, when you have uh, women, and I know you mentioned this a little bit, that have fibroids. Um, you know, what options do they have for in terms of like surgical options? So, is it always surgery that they need, or you know, do they have other options? Or what would you tell somebody that came in that say that was really being bothered by her fibroids? What would you yeah. typically like suggest? Yeah. Them? So, there are a lot of different things we can do for fibroids. Um, some are as simple as a birth control pill, just a quick medication that helps with the bleeding. Um, you know, it really depends on what the patient's problem is. If it's if it's the bleeding. There are lots of hormonal medications to help with that. If the symptoms are really painful sex, oh, I feel like I'm pregnant, I have this big ball in my belly, well, you know, the hormonal medications may help a little bit, but surgery is the best thing for that, uh, for those types of symptoms. And then for patients who are trying to get pregnant, um, I think surgery is the best option. So we actually remove the problem, remove that fibroid, the, the small one, the big one, whatever it is, and just, you know, 
make your cavity and your uterus nice and clean and ready to have a baby. So I think it really depends what the patient's issue is. Um, there are some patients who have no issues and they say, oh, you know what? I was in the ER for something and they told me I have a fibroid. Um, in that case, you actually don't need to do anything. If you're not being bothered mm -hmm. by it, you're not having bleeding. Right. I see a lot of patients come in so anxious. Oh my goodness, I have a fibroid. What do I do? But if it's, you know, if it's not very big and you didn't even know you had it and it's not bothering you, you actually don't need to do anything. So that's another important point too. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's a very good point, actually, right? Because then I don't want people walking away, you know, after listening to this episode, like, oh, my God, I have to have my eyes <laughs> <Yes>. removed <laughs> or, or that I didn't even know I had one, but now I know I have one and now I got to get it removed. Yep. So yep. you're right. If it's not bothersome, if it's really, you know, and sometimes you can have fibroids that are really small. Exactly. So, yep. you know, and they don't, they're not doing anything. And so you really don't need to have it removed. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so say somebody's in the Bay Area, and uh, I know a lot of people that do listen to my podcast in the Bay Area, the, how would they go about getting in touch with you? You know, what type of coaching do you offer online? Yes, so I offer a couple things. The first is fibroid coaching. And this is for anybody who is listening anywhere in the world. Um, you could be in the US, Bay Area, or anywhere in the world. Um, and this is a session that we have together where I really go over options, you know, listen to your story and give you kind of give you what's available out there and what may suit you. Um, I can't really function as your doctor um, because you're not in California, but this is a great option for those who are kind of sick and tired of just Googling things and hearing different things. They just want some reliable answers from a physician. So this is a great option for you. And you can just email me at the fibroidoc at gmail.com. If you are in the Bay Area and you actually want to be a patient, um, either you know for fibroids or just for general gynecology, you can visit my website, lamorindagyn.com, or you can also go to the fibroidoc.com, and uh, that'll redirect you to my website. So um, those are great options, great ways to get you know um, into my practice. And certainly, if you're somebody who is desiring surgery, so you could be in the Bay Area or even in LA or San Diego, you just want your fibroid removed, you're undergoing fertility treatments or whatever it be, um, you just need your fibroid removed, I'm happy to also see you and take care of you in my, in my practice. That is awesome. That is so good to know. And you know, that's the great thing about coaching, right? Is that because one, it's all virtual, and also that it's like international. Yeah. I mean, there's no, you don't have to worry about like yeah. state lines or anything like that. And, you know, you can get in touch with uh, a coach. And I think that's fantastic that you do coaching regarding fibroids, because there's so many women that don't have the proper information, right? Yes. And so they can access you and contact you. Do you have like, uh, just wondering in terms of your coaching, if somebody wanted to sign up for coaching with you, is that like a membership? Is that, how does that work? Yeah, it's just a one, uh, it's, it, it just go by um, hourly basis. So some patients will just do an hour. Um, others will say, okay, I'm going to do an hour. And then when I get ready for actually to surgery, I'm going to have a lot more questions. And mm -hmm. then they'll sign up for another hour. So it's, you're not committing to anything, you know, long term. It's just, by the hour and you just contact me and we go from there. You'll sign an agreement and then, yeah, we go from there. And I've had patients um, or coaching clients from New York and also abroad who, um, I actually had one patient who was already signed up for a hysterectomy, but she said, oh, well, you know, whenever I go to my doctor, I barely get any of my questions answered because I feel so rushed. So I just want a coaching session just to go through all the questions. Um, which which was great for her. And then she felt so 
relieved and, you know, just um, a lot more ready to tackle what was coming ahead. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and, you know, being part of a busy OBGYN practice, you know that physicians just never have time, right? It's like they have patients scheduled every 15 minutes. They can't spend that time with you. So to have a physician that has time and whose specialty is fibroids, right? Um, that is something that's really, really important. And it helps to put their mind at ease, especially if they're about to have surgery. Exactly. So yes. to know, you know, what type of surgery and the recovery and yep. all of that stuff, you know, do you get patients asking you about like what their intimate life is going to be like, like what their sex life is going to be like after they have surgery? Yes. So one of the common questions that I get asked is um, from patients who are having a hysterectomy and there are patients um, who ask, well, they, they should take their cervix or leave their cervix and how mm, this yeah. plays into you know, their sex life and intimacy. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, there's, there's a whole a host of reasons why you would leave the cervix versus take the cervix. Um, and, you know, uh, but, but if you are taking the cervix, I want to reassure uh, patients and those listening that it does not interfere with sex life. There are big studies that have been done that show that there is no difference. And so um, if you have to take your cervix for medical reasons, you know, if you've had a history of abnormal paps, um, you, you, you just don't want to risk getting cervical cancer. You don't want to think about that. You never want to have a pap in your life again. You know, just it's, it's okay to take the cervix. Yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. Good to know. But also about uh, ovaries, right? So I'm sure patients will ask you whether or not they should keep their ovaries or get their ovaries removed. And, um, you know, what do you counsel them? And then, of course, they have to worry about estrogen replacement yes. and and um, you know what to do about that. So, what do you recommend? Yeah, so I generally do not recommend removing ovaries. Um, we both know that that gives the ovaries give us uh, our estrogen, that is our main sex hormone, um, and not only for sex but also for our brain health, bone health, heart health, all of those things. So, I do not recommend that patients remove their ovary unless you know we're suspecting something bad, ovarian cancer. Um, but otherwise, retain your ovaries and. Um, if you do have to remove it because you have a large cyst, you have something that bleeds, you know, there, there's some other medical reason and surgical reason why we end up removing it, then yes, um, I think hormone replacement therapy is is a great, great way to go to replace that estrogen so you can continue having a good quality of life in all of those areas. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I know that some women will you know, decide to have their ovaries removed because they're approaching menopause and they don't, they want to decrease their risk of ovarian cancer. And some women that have, you know, as you know, um, you know, positive for BRCA, mm -hmm. the BRCA gene and things like that, and that are at high risk for ovarian cancer will opt to have their ovaries removed. So definitely hormone replacement therapy is a good option for those patients. Yes. Um, and the BRCA patients, <laughs> definitely, you know, we want to remove the ovaries, but the menopause patients, I say, you know, the studies really show that we shouldn't be removing ovaries until about age 65. So I have patients who need a hysterectomy at 49 and they're like, well, I'm about to go through menopause anyway in a couple of years. And I said, no, but you still have another decade of the ovaries really giving you good hormones. So don't remove those ovaries. I think a few decades ago, that was common practice, you know, remove the uterus, the ovaries, everything. So now, now we actually really try to preserve the ovaries. Oh, that's good stuff. Uh, and tell me, uh, you know, I know that some patients also worry about after they get a hysterectomy about the length of their vagina, like decreased uh, vaginal length, you know, do you 
um, talk to them about that? Is that ever a concern that comes up? I know sometimes after radiation, you know, and things like that. Yeah. So um, after surgery itself, no, your vagina should not be shortening after sur- uh, after surgery. If anything, there's probably an increased length a little bit because we're suturing that cuff and you know pulling everything up a little bit higher. Um, but if a patient actually has cancer, like endometrial cancer, and they are receiving vaginal you know brachytherapy and other radiation therapies, yes, that can make the vaginal canal a lot a lot more narrow and a little bit tighter so um, but the surgery surgical mm-hmm. portion alone doesn't do that mm-hmm. yeah yeah in which case you know if that happens then we suggest vaginal dilators for those patients yes. to still you know maintain some length and some width to the vagina so they are able to um, have sex if they want to yeah Right, right. And that's where like the your pelvic floor therapist mm-hmm. absolutely great yes. and, uh, help with the, um, the lengthening and uh, those dilators make a huge difference in patients, you know, and I think that sometimes after a surgery such as that, you know, patient may worry about like pain, pain with intercourse, and especially if they have, um, you know, if they've had to have their uh, ovaries removed, they could have vaginal dryness mm-hmm. and then, you know, Yes, definitely. I'm, you know, what do you recommend for your patients with vaginal dryness? Yeah. So the vaginal dryness, um, you know, if, if we were removing your ovaries because of some sort of a cancer, then we're not going to recommend vaginal estrogen at this point. A lot of oncologists are not on board with that. Um, especially for estrogen positive, you know, receptor positive cancers, but for, um, so for those patients, I would recommend, um, non estrogenic, uh, you know, lubricants and vaginal moisturizer. So there's a lot out there. And then for patients who had their ovaries removed for some surgical reason that was not cancerous, then absolutely vaginal estrogen is fine. Yeah. Awesome. Well, okay. Any parting thoughts that you would advise uh, someone that has fibroids, you know, what they may consider, anything that you think is important to any signs or symptoms that they should watch out for that, you know, would be a good reason to give you a call or set up an appointment with you? Yeah. So definitely the, you know, the vaginal bleeding um, and the uterine bleeding, that's very heavy. I, you know, I want to tell patients that that is not normal. A lot of patients think that heavy bleeding during their period is normal. And of course, it's all relative. Um, for, for every patient, but if you're bleeding so much that you're soaking through a pad or a tampon every hour, soaking through sheets, or you're bleeding more than five days a month, you're bleeding two weeks out of the month, that is not normal. So definitely see see me, see a gynecologist near you. Um, and uh, if you're experiencing painful intercourse and you can't really seem to figure out why, you know, there's nothing that happened and you're like suddenly having this issue, don't be afraid to seek out care and, you know, seek out a second opinion if need be. A lot of patients will go see one, one gynecologist. They'll say, oh, yeah, you know, you may have fibro- you have a little fibroid, but that shouldn't really be causing it or, or whatever. They're not really happy with the answer. Um, if, if that's the case, then, you know, see, don't be afraid to seek out a second opinion. Yeah. 
Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Prabhakar. I'm so happy to have you on. And I know that our viewers and our listeners all over the world are so happy to hear from you and to learn more about fibroids and that they are not alone and they don't have to suffer. And I think that's the one of the biggest takeaways I think that I take away is that you don't have to suffer. You don't have to bleed. You don't have to hemorrhage. You don't have to live a life like that. And and that there is treatment, there is help. And I think just hearing that, I think gives people, gives women hope that Absolutely. they can do something about their fibroids. Absolutely. So I think that that is very, very important. So, and I'm so grateful that there are people like you out there that do minimally invasive surgery and that you have something online, such as online coaching, that you can also guide patients. So I think that's so valuable. So thank you so much for doing what you do. Yes, thank you so much. And also for anyone who is listening, please um, follow me at the fibroid doc on Instagram. That's a quick and easy way just to get a lot of information about fibroids and general um, GYN health. And you can also find me on YouTube at the fibroid doc. So thank you so much. Awesome. I love me. it. I follow you and yeah. I learned so much stuff about fibroids that I didn't know. Yeah. So yeah. it's pretty cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Absolutely. So, well, we are done here. It's been real and really intimate. And remember, this is not meant to be any type of medical advice. So if you're having any issues with bleeding or fibroids or anything like that, please go and see your healthcare providers so that they can properly assess you and take care of you. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one -on -one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsadaf.com. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast.